Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Bank. I'm here with Gabe Ferguson. I'm Jordan Coe. Um, we write for Baltimore Sports and Life. Feel free to check us out at baltimoresportsandlife.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at BSL Jordan Coe. Gabe's at Gabe Fergie. Um, you know, we're always commenting on all kinds of stuff on the message board and on Twitter. So uh, feel free to take a take a look. Um, as we talked about in our last podcast, we wanted to start out by jumping into some of these positions that we think still need to be filled on the team. So we went through a little mini draft of where we thought those needs were. And obviously a big one for me has been inside linebacker. Um, and we wanted to take a deeper look at kind of what the options look like from the draft perspective of where the Ravens might be able to go with that this upcoming year. Um, and we wanted to kind of start the conversation about value at inside linebacker. Obviously the Ravens have got nine picks coming up in this draft so they can fill the, they can fill the void kind of top to bottom. Um, you know, Gabe, what's your thoughts on first round picks of inside linebackers? Because that's what we're hearing all over the, the pundit world. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, conversation, I think, because to me, the inside linebacker position is a lot like the running back position on offense, where you can get value later in the draft and you can kind of put different players together in different packages to kind of suit their roles better. Um, so, Last year, for instance, the Ravens, you know, they had several different players that they employed in different packages, different um, early down. You'd have Josh Bynes in there. Sometimes you'd have LJ Fort, and then um, you'd have Patrick Omasu come on later. Um, and they would kind of rotate the guys. And I think that it's similar to the running back who you would have as, you know, have somebody in on early downs and then bring him in a third down back, that kind of thing. And that's a big reason why running backs have been devalued. And I think linebackers in a lot of ways have been devalued as well um, because they're just kind of a player that fills a role in the system. Um, you know, if you have a bad defensive line, then your linebackers probably aren't going to be that important because you're just going to get run over. Um, if you have a good defensive line, then your linebackers are going to look a lot better. Um, I think that you can, the one thing that, you kind of strive for if you want to get that first round linebacker is the guy who can stay on the field for all three downs. Um, you know, you want somebody who can blitz, you want somebody who can drop back in coverage. Um, and if you don't get that in the first round, then what's the point in drafting a linebacker early? Because you're really spending a very premium draft pick on a player that isn't going to be on the field for every single snap. And even if he is on the field for every single snap, if he's not doing his job well, then that's kind of a, a poor way to use your draft resources um how do you think about the position yeah you know i i think i buy into that you know obviously across the board for how you're building your team you want to pick spots for value it's the same reason why the ravens traded back up into the first round to take lamar jackson um but i think you know i really struggle with this idea that you need a linebacker to be an elite three down linebacker to be worthy of a first round pick to me, when I look at it, I look at it much more like I need a guy that can do something exceptionally well, and I can build my package of what I'm putting on the field around that guy. Now, whether that's first down and second down, whether that's third down, 
whether it's all three, obviously you're in, you're, you're rolling in dough if you're, if it's all three. And that's why Simmons is going to be probably a top 10 pick as he should be. Right. Um, but if you've got an elite guy that can be a run stuffer um, and do the things that you need to do, react well to screens, keep plays in front of him on first and second down, and you can trust him just to do that, that allows you to do things with your safeties, with your corners, um, with your packages and build around that. And if you can do it in an elite way, um, you know, I think that's something that, is, that can be worth it in the first. Um, you know, it just depends on what you have around it and how you use them. Um, but you need a guy that can be the fulcrum of whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish in that package. Um, and so you need something that's popping off the page to see that. And so, you know, in the same way, right? Like, I think the challenge, especially for inside linebackers is that it's a, it's really hard to be a good coverage guy as an inside linebacker. So the, if the expectation is that you need them to be elite on third downs, then yeah, it's almost never worth it because you're rarely going to find those guys, right? The Patrick Willis's of the world, the Luke Keekleys, there just aren't a lot of them, right? Um, and so I can buy into that part of it. Yeah, I think um, you, you have this interesting argument here because obviously you're looking for playmakers, especially when you get somebody early in the draft. Like that's kind of what you, you want. I mean, outside of maybe offensive line or obviously mostly just offensive line. You want somebody who's going to make an impact. And in the defense, I don't see that if you don't get somebody who can be an impactful coverage player because that's really how offenses are attacking these days. Like, I mean, we've seen some teams like the Ravens, I guess the Titans, who have kind of gotten old school and run the ball more. But for the most part, most teams are dropping back, passing the ball 60, 65, 70% of the time. Most teams are not in base defense more than like 20 percent of the time you're in a lot of nickel and dime packages and you need a, a linebacker who's willing to or able to you know cover running backs not just on screens but on routes you need to cover tight ends on routes and you can't always be sitting in, in zone coverage where and not you know asking your guy to do something a little more than that so unless you can get somebody who can at least grow into that kind of role who isn't a liability in coverage then i think a first round pick is, is a lot of value to put on into an asset just to be a run stopper. That's 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 my take on it. I think so you can get the guys. Luke Keekley obviously has been somebody like you mentioned. He was worth the first round pick. I'm not sure there are many Luke Keeklys out there. Yeah. So would you have said that the guys like Mosley and Shazier were worth their picks where they went in the draft? I mean, I was dating back to when we drafted Mosley. I didn't want to take him in the first round. Um, Shazier, I think, eventually became that guy, but... Obviously, he also took a while to develop into a player who was worth that, I think. He was probably in the first two years, he was actually kind of a liability in coverage. He eventually became a really good player before, you know, tragically he's, his career got cut short. But um, it's, it's really a gamble, I think, um, to kind of go out on a limb and draft an inside linebacker early and hope that they're going to be plug-and-play guys. I think we can even look back in this past year. Two inside linebackers were taken if not top 10, like top 12 in Devin Bush and Devin White. And if you look at their like coverage grades, um, they were not graded out very well. They did not play well as coverage linebackers. They were exposed a lot of time um, in man coverage. Um, it's hard to sometimes understand how these offenses are working. NFL offenses are much more complex, scheme heavy than your, your, NF, or, sorry, your college offense. So NFL offenses are just a whole new thing. And maybe these players will learn maybe they'll study film and get better um because they have like the physical ability i think 
but the ability to process and understand coverage schemes, understand their roles, um, that's something that takes a lot of time. And like, once again, you know, investing a very early pick in that is something that is questionable to me. Yeah, the only thing I would, the only challenge I would give to that is, you know, thinking about Mosley and Chazier going at like 16 and 17. I just pulled up the draft list of the year that they went and looked at like the guys that got drafted after them. And there's there's not a lot great <laughs> that came after them. Calvin Pryor, Juwan James, um, Brandon Cook's obviously a success. Clinton Dix, okay. But I don't think he's better than Mosley. Um, Manziel, obviously a bust. D Ford, eh. Um Dennett, Darkies Denard, eh, Verrett, obviously very good. But down the line from there, Calvin Benjamin, basically out of the league, Marcus Smith, Dominic Easley, you know, Jimmy Warren, Bradley Roby, maybe, um, and Bridgewater, obviously, as a project and a quarterback, but that's kind of the same risk as you take in Lamar. Um, I struggle to see guys that were taken after them that, you know, they might have been more value at their position at like safety or wide receiver or, or whatever that might be. And maybe it was just this year's draft. Um, but I would much rather have had Mosley than D Ford, for example. Um, so, you know, again, I'm not trying to say that that makes that the right pick or the wrong pick. Um, but I think sometimes we get so caught up in the value of these guys um, that, you know, maybe maybe a really good tackler on first and second down would have made all the difference for the Ravens last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair argument. I, I don't think that was what the Ravens were missing necessarily, although it probably would have helped. I think if they had D Ford, it probably would have been better than actually. If they had I don't know. Ford. Matt Judon wraps up on uh, <laughs> Derrick Henry on the one sixty-yard run down into inside the red zone. Who knows what happens on that's third fair. down, no less. Even um, though I like Matt Judon. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's a guy that you like as the best potential coverage guy. Um, you know, maybe not first round value, but the guy that you like the best. You want to talk a little bit about him? Yeah, I, mean, I think if the Ravens were to invest in a linebacker in the first round, for me, it would be Patrick Queen out of LSU. Um, he is the player who I think translates to an NFL three down linebacker better than anybody else in this draft. If, outside of Simmons, if we're considering him a linebacker. He's kind of like a do-it-all kind of guy. Um, but, yeah, Queen has obviously been, you know, in the conversation with the Ravens a lot during this, you know, pre-draft run-up. And for good reason, you know, he he had a very good year, I think, at LSU this past year where he started most of the season. Um, he actually didn't even start at the beginning of the year. He's been a little bit of a late kind of bloomer, I guess you might say. Um He's a little undersized for a linebacker, but I think that he brings a dimension that you want in the modern NFL, which is, you know, he's got the ability, the, like the kind of smoothness to him. Um, he can drop back in coverage, kind of like how you would look at like a strong safety. He's just very um, agile, I think, for the position. Um, he isn't probably the best run defender yet, um, I think he's sneaky in his run defense. Like he can slip blocks and he can make plays. Um, he's not scared to get in there, but his run defense probably isn't his strongest asset. But I do think in the NFL that that isn't as big as importance as being able to, you know, be a coverage guy. And if, if you're a linebacker and you can't be on third down where you can have the ability to either play zone or man. Um, why are we drafting you in the first round? That's, that's the same thing I've said before. Um, I think from the running back or linebacker versus the run kind of situation, you can 
play well, especially with guys who are big up front. You don't have to necessarily take on offensive linemen all the time like you used to in the NFL. And I think you can get away with being more athletic and a little quicker than if you're just like 250 and running like a 4.8. So I think he offers a lot. He can blitz. He can drop in coverage. And I think that if the Ravens did go linebacker in the first round, he would be the guy. Yeah, you know, I was surprised that he um, wasn't a starter for longer at LSU. That surprised me. Um, and doesn't have kind of a compiled history of success at the college level. Um, that worried me a little bit. Obviously, LSU's defense was fantastic. A lot of great players on that defense this year. Um, and I wonder if that helped him out a little bit. Um, and, you know, I liked Patrick Queen. I, you know, I don't know that I would have put a first round grade on him. He wasn't, you know, when I take a guy in the first round and it doesn't, you know, you can take whatever position. And this kind of goes back to the discussion we were having earlier. I want a guy that pops out on the tape at me. And, and maybe sometimes coverage linebackers are never going to like if your best skill is being a coverage linebacker, it's probably not going to pop out on film, especially in the way the college spread game runs. Right. Um, but I just never like I, I watched probably four and a half games worth of Patrick Queen's defensive snaps. Um, and maybe I just wasn't watching the right games, but, it, you know, he just didn't seem to pop off the film at me. Um, you know, I wouldn't be upset if the Ravens took him and I think they could develop him. He's definitely got to get stronger um, and he can get absorbed into some of those blocks. But, you know, you can train that kind of thing. And the, the Ravens strength training program is phenomenal. So if you think that the coverage skill is the one that you need to be more innate and uh, the physical strength is the thing that you can build up, I could totally see the Ravens targeting him. Yeah. And I think, like you said, um, coverage in college is often not something that you see pop because they're not asked to do what they're asked to do in, in NFL. You don't see them, you know, doing these deep like Tampa two drops where you're just like running down the field 20 yards, you know, covering a tight end. That's very rare in the college scheme. Um, but I, I do think with Queen, you see his IQ and coverage. Um, you see him able to drop a little deeper than what some of these other linebackers are asked to do. Sometimes you're just asked to drop into like these sh short kind of hooks, like, you know, five or 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. I think Queen was tasked with a little bit more than that. Um, and I think that matters. Um, it's hard to say how much it matters, and it is hard to say how much it translates to the NFL. Um, that's really where scouts are going to make their money because they have to be able to say this guy has a traits that are going to be able to make him a good player at the next level. Um, and not necessarily just look at the playmaking, which is obviously important, but also, you know, some of the nuances of the position. Yeah, um, which I think if we want to talk about playmaking, you're going to talk about a guy that you like more, someone from uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, I hadn't really gotten into some of these inside linebackers at the college level um, until we were prepping for this podcast. So I kind of came into it a little blind. I don't watch a lot of college football. Um, but Kenneth Murray, really, he popped off the film to me. Um, and I know it seems like his stock was really on the rise coming into the end of the year and has really kind of started to drift back down. But there were, uh, you know, a couple things that I really liked that I saw from him. One is he was a phenomenal pass rusher. They would line him up on the outside on third downs, but it wasn't just, and he could, he had speed to the outside because he's a really physical specimen. I mean, you could see his athleticism on film, but he could also, he also stunted and twisted and he was really good at being slippery um, when taking some of those angles and whether it was kind of beating guards on the pool, um, finding gaps, shooting those gaps, um, I was really impressed with those things. He was always around the ball and he always wrapped up. Um, I think that's one of the things that jumped off to me that I didn't like about Queen. There were times that he could 
have gotten to the ball or was around the ball and he wasn't finishing plays or he wasn't the next guy that should have been at the play when he should have been. Kenneth Murray was always that guy. Um, and so, you know, out of all the linebackers that I watched, um, he was only one of two guys that I felt like really kind of brought that nose to the football sense. But, you know, I think what you were just talking about is, you know, really the question. It's like they just didn't ask him except occasionally to cover a running back in man coverage, which I thought he did well when he was given that assignment. The complexity of what they asked Murray to do in pass coverage was basically nothing. Um, it looked like they played a lot of cover three where you had the strong safety playing kind of over the hook under in the robber role. And so he was just four or five yards off the line of scrimmage. Um, and that let him do his thing. But his sideline to sideline speed and in particular his closing speed um, and his ability to wrap on those closes really jumped off the page at me. Um, I think he's a guy that plays in the NFL for seven or eight years, no matter what. Now, whether that's as a one or two down, you know, kind of guy, whether that's, you know, real first round grade or not, I think, you know, he's looking at a couple contracts in the NFL just because, I mean, he physically, he was the most visibly physical guy that I saw on film. I think one of the things with Murray is you need to ask scheme fit with him and what the team's going to ask him to do in the NFL. Because if you're asking him to, you know, be that guy who's a Mike linebacker in a 3-4 defense or, you know, I guess a middle linebacker too in a 4-3, and you're asking him to, on early downs, kind of sift through traffic um, and not only just see the play develop it, analyze it, and figure out which gap he has to hit and, um, you know, know his run fits and be able to process. I think that's where I'm concerned about him. Um, I actually feel better about Queen in that, in that area than I do about Murray. I thought he was lined up in that kind of that Mike role more than Murray was. I thought Murray is more of your traditional Sam linebacker in a, in a 4-3. Um, I think he's better on the outside where you can see plays develop. And then, like you said, he has incredible range. Like he will run you down and he will get you down on the ground. He's a very physical player. He's very, I would say, violent as attacker. Like you'd like to see that. He's an, um, he's he's a very like fun player to watch. I will I'll give give you that. But I'm concerned about how he translates. Um, I think he can do very well in a certain scheme. I'm not sure if the Ravens are the great greatest fit for him. I can see why people like him, but I'm hesitant because, like you said, you don't see the coverage. It's, you're kind of projecting that. And I've seen some plays in run defense as well where he is slow to process or he's kind of running himself out of the play. And I think those are two big red flags for an inside linebacker because if you can be as, you know, as rangy as you want, as fast as you want, but if you're running past the play, if you're not processing it at the right, at the right speed, if you're you know, getting lost in the commotion, then I think you're going to be uh, in for a rough like first couple of years as, as an NFL linebacker. Yeah, I hope the Ravens got an interview with him and Queen, frankly, at the combine, because, you know, that's where you find these things out. I mean, they put, ideally, 
from you know they're putting film in front of these guys and they're like saying what happened on this play what was your assignment what you know what were you guys doing where were you lining up they're actually kind of running them through that whole thing and that's when you find out whether or not they have that intelligence you know um because it's it's tricky because you're going to see guys seem like they're overrunning and maybe he's the edge guy right and like even though he's not you know you don't necessarily know where their run fits were um you know you and every single guy that i watched tape on overran certain plays yeah. so like that could be the knock on I, I mean that's the knocking on a college linebacker right um so i don't know that i would what I envision the way Murray being a successful first round pick for the Ravens is being Josh Bynes on first and second and a half downs um, and Pernell McPhee's role on third downs where mm-hmm. he can line up inside, he can line up outside, he can drop it. He, he gives you a little bit more versatility in terms of where he can drop and then the athleticism explosion on top of that, um, you know, obviously it's significant compared to McPhee. He's big, he's physical. If he could play that kind of role in this defense, to me, that just jumps off the page as a perfect fit, right? Like you're filling the extra offense outside linebacker role that you needed of kind of like that quasi whatever guy. Um, and you get that run stopping guy on the front end. Um, that being said, you know, you can fill that same role with, like you have said, with two other roster, two other roster spots. And the Ravens yeah. have those roster spots. And so maybe there's another run stuffer that we like here in the draft. And there's another guy or like Clay Matthews, or even like Pernell McPhee, that can play that role this year. And so the first round pick isn't worth it. Yeah, that, that's an interesting consideration with him. Maybe on third down, you just ask him to be kind of a pass rusher or kind of a guy who drops into the flat. Um, and that, that might make him a little bit more um, valuable because then you would be kind of having two roles in one player, um, especially if he can be, do well in the early down role. And then I'm not sure if how well his pass rushing translates as like a strict edge rusher. I like him as a blitzer a lot. Um, I think that's something that I've seen with a lot of actually the players in this draft. There's a lot of guys who can blitz pretty well, um, kind of as an outside linebacker hybrid kind of role. Um, so th- that brings me to the kind of my other point as to why you don't draft an inside linebacker, especially in a draft like this. I think there's an abundance of guys you can find later. Um, than the first round, maybe anywhere from the second through like the fifth or sixth round, depending on where he, some of these guys fall. It's a it's a pretty deep tr- class, I think, of linebackers. Um, and maybe they're not all guys at the same talent level. They're not going to be as Murray and Queen, but you can get, um, I think, players who can fill different kinds of roles. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's important, especially for a team like the Ravens who likes to platoon their linebackers. Um, they might be able to draft two guys and have one of them play early downs, one of them play late downs. And yeah, that's two roster spots, but if they're mid-round picks and they're at like a cheap rookie contract, is that, is that the worst thing in the world? Was there any second round type guys that, that really jumped off the page at you that the Ravens should be looking at? Second round, um, I'm not sure about. I think you might be a little bit of a reach getting a guy in a second. Um, I think Malik Harrison out of Ohio State might be that guy, but mm. he's a little sluggish to me. Um, he's not quite as explosive as some of the other guys. I think you might be able to get in the third or fourth round. Um, two players that kind of have similar skill sets, in my opinion, are uh, Jordan Brooks and Willie Gay. Um, Willie Gay is one of the more athletic linebackers, I think, in the draft class, maybe the most athletic. Um, he, he also looks like he doesn't know what he's doing part of the time, so... <laughs> That's a concern for me. Um, he has some character red flags. We've talked about that on, on the message board a little bit. You know, 
um, that's something that the Ravens probably will look heavily into before they consider taking someone like that. But um, he's probably one of the better coverage guys. I think um, the athleticism is impressive. He's, I think, a guy similar to um, Kenneth Murray, who has that sideline to sideline range. He's very explosive. Um, he's can be a very powerful tackler, but he also plays out of control. And yeah, that's 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 an issue. That was that was my issue with him. You know, I, I only got to see one game that he played. It was the Louisville game, um, and it just seemed like he was he made up for a lot of his mistakes with his athleticism instead of the other way around where, but for his athleticism, he was still making plays. Um, and it's interesting to think about how you might want to draft a guy like that. Cause he could make up those, he could make up for it based on one, I think the caliber of talent he was playing against at the time and two, just, just his sheer athleticism. And so you take him out of that, you take him out of that when you put him into the NFL and are you going to get a guy that still translate that translates mm-hmm. like that? Or are you going to have a guy that, you know, it it reminds me of Arthur Brown to a degree where the Ravens, you know, were just like his, his athleticism seemed to be off the charts. Um, and it just seemed like he made up for a lot of what wasn't a very smart play when he was in college um, to get to kind of that status where the Ravens traded up for him. Um, and so, again, I haven't seen enough of Gay, obviously, from a combine perspective, really, you know, tail of the tape for sure. Definitely, you know, a winner of the underwear Olympics. So, um, you know, it's just a question of what they think of his profile. You know, I don't make too much of kind of some of the off field or whatever that stuff might be. I want to see it. I want to know how that translates to how they're processing the game, how they're building and working on their game um, and how that looks. Um, You know, I'd liked, I probably liked Malik Harrison better than I liked Willie Gay from what I saw. Um, but I thought Harrison played really upright and really stout. Um, and he did a lot of his damage from a stat compiling perspective against the lesser teams of the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, and that really concerned me. Like, especially especially in the Clemson game, he basically did nothing. He was a step behind or washed out on almost every play. I think that's something that, you know, NFL teams really consider is the level of competition and what you look like when you're going up against players who, you know, do have that, high level of athleticism do you are you going to stack up against them do you really stand out on the on the field um i think that's something that you like about kenneth murray you know he was a guy who still stood out playing against the best teams in the country um i agree with you with harrison it's not something necessarily saw um and the other guy kind of mentioned briefly was jordan brooks who i equate to kenneth or kenneth murray white um i feel like he has a lot of the same traits um, he's a guy who likes to, if he, he sees what plays developing, I think he can do really well. He He's very good at knifing and get, getting behind the line of scrimmage, making plays in the backfield. He's a good blitzer. He wasn't asked to do much as a coverage guy. He was often like a quarterback spy kind of player playing in the Big 12. Um, he could blitz well, but I think he was mostly athlete, and I'm not sure if he had kind of the instincts to really play linebacker at the NFL level. Um, maybe he could develop into that role, but I think you're drafting an athlete and maybe that's okay in the middle rounds and hoping he pans out. I think the Ravens tried to do that a couple of years ago with Kenny Young and he didn't really pan out. Um, you know, they might take another stab at a guy like that, maybe a guy like Gay. There's other guys in the draft as well that you could take a look at, but, um, yeah, for Brooks, for me, his good plays were good, but his bad plays were bad, but not in the way that it was with Willie Gay. At least at least when it seemed like Willie Gay just kind of got lost in 
whatever whatever diversion was being put in front of him, he kind of pursued. Um, for Brooks, it seemed more like just he just couldn't make it to some plays or they just weren't going to happen. Um, and, you know, obviously that's going to happen with inside linebackers and guys that are he's your more prototypical size mm-hmm. for your inside linebacker. So, again, if we're talking about where's where's Brooks, proje- you know, I don't know a lot about where he, he's projecting I think right now. Like third, fourth round, I would say is probably yeah. his projection. Which I think I'm going to be unhappy right. with him towards the end yeah. of the fourth. Um, I think that that's a nice filler. He kind of, you know, you, you could see some, you know, Bart Scott light traits. That's kind of what I yeah. thought of him. He he also strikes me as kind of your Sam in a four three kind of formation where he's going to be able to do a lot of that cleanup. Um, and on the the better side of that, looking more like Jamie Sharper. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I think he, I, I think he had that. He was able to wrap up really well, good at the point of attack. Um, he could hold his blocks. He wasn't getting pushed back off of them. He wasn't shedding as much as I would have wanted to see. But again, when you're talking about fourth round picks, you want a guy that knows where he's supposed to be. You want a guy that can tackle and you want a guy that can play for four years on that rookie contract. And, you know, I think at that, at that value, I wouldn't be all that upset if they went in that direction. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair um, take on him. Um, One of the really think- interesting guys that, that I kind of – stumbled on was Troy Dye of Oregon. Oh, yeah. I don't I don't know if you've watched a lot of him. I was really impressed. Again, you know, when you're talking about tape, you're talking about performance over his four years in college, racked up a ton of tackles in the Pac-12, um, and really on film popped. But he also stuck out on film because his build is really peculiar. He's got particularly long legs mm-hmm. and he's he's a little on the taller side for an inside linebacker at six foot four. Um, or what, I mean, he looked like he was taller and he looked like he was more slender, even though I think he's like a 235, 240 player. Yeah. He's kind of a weird kind of body type. You're right. He's lanky, I think for a linebacker. And so I wonder if that's going to push his draft stock down, but he's the, he was one of the kind of, he was really good in coverage. And I think obviously his height and his athleticism played a big part in that. Um, but he also, you know, it looked like on in short closing distances, his hip fluidity wasn't as good because his legs are longer. Mm-hmm. He didn't have that kind of. He was athletic, but he wasn't twitchy. I think yeah. that's the, that would be the difference that I would call it. I think that's correct. Um, I think Die is a guy you would probably draft and maybe put him in sub packages. You know, like have him as your dime backer or nickel backer guy who comes in and is mostly in there for coverage. Not that I'd say he can't play against a run, but I think he actually looked pretty good. He could line up in man against, you know, a tight end, I think, and he could hold his own. Um, yeah, I could see him being one of those guys that if he slips into the fourth round, I think he's being projected in the third round right now. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that, that slips into the fourth round. Again, you, you'd be getting really good value. And, and also, you know, I, I like the, I buy into your concept that, coverage is the hardest part for these guys to learn. He showed good, a good baseline skill set there from what I was watching. Um, so if it turns out that, he, you know, this, his build and size can kind of not be a problem, then it turns out that you got a really good value, um, especially if he's late third, late fourth type round draft pick. Yeah. And I mean, there's still a few more guys that we talk about even as later round draft picks. Um, and also some, you know, potential guys that you would, uh, switch positions with I think um, guys who played outside linebacker or you know even like defensive end in college that are a little undersized kind of like your tweener type and seeing how they would play as an off the ball linebacker is interesting um, two guys that I've talked about in this kind of transition would be Zach Bond and uh, 
Josh uh, Uchi out of Michigan, um, and Vaughn is out of Wisconsin. So I mean, these are two Big Ten players that were edge guys and, you know, pretty successful, I think. They, they, they have some good reps, I think, as, as edge rushers, but um, they're small. You know, they're probably in the 230s, which is more of an inside linebacker size in the NFL. I don't think they would really hold up as edge defenders against a run in the NFL. Um, what do you think about taking an outside linebacker potentially in the maybe second round and seeing if he can stick as an inside linebacker in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I like that idea a lot. Bound, also a guy that the, the film just jumps off. Um, and sometimes that was sometimes that was on the edge. Sometimes in terms of getting Ben and getting to the quarterback, tremendous ability from that standpoint. His first two steps, incredibly quick, um, but also able to set the edge, hold his own against tackles, you know, which is no big, no small thing in the Big Ten, um, you know, was a guy that I thought that could translate and kind of get through traffic and take some of that kind of heat and seem to be kind of the right speed and one of those high motor guys like those I don't know again I don't know what it is about those kind of guys that seem to jump out on film but he was always the second guy to the ball or would have been the second guy to the ball if somebody else wouldn't have wrapped up um and that's something that I really like to see out of these kind of players and so you know obviously you talk to these guys before the draft and you find out whether or not they're willing to kind of make some kind of shift like that um, but it seemed like Baum was on the rise in terms of his draft stock and now is kind of back on the falling side of things again. Um, so again, I'd be, I'd be really interested to kind of see how that goes um, towards the end of the second round and, and even later if it falls that way. Yeah, I've seen Baum mocked as early as the first round to the Ravens, I think, actually, maybe in a draft or in a mock draft here or there. Um, and I'm not sure if that's projecting him as an off-the-ball linebacker or as an edge guy or maybe some kind of hybrid. Um, you know, we talked about Ty Bowser in, in, a, in a role like that where um, he's never really played inside in terms of his, like, run fits um, or being, like, an inside backer on early downs. He's, but he's kind of filled that role on passing downs. Um, he's been dropping into coverage in kind of, you know, a lot of different ways. And I, th- I think we could see that potentially with a guy like Bon. Um, he's probably going to play a little bit of outside linebacker in the NFL, I think, because he is just a talented pass rusher. I think you'll get him in some places where he would, you know, be successful there. Um, so I think my biggest issue with, with him, and he, with, with Uche too, if I'm saying that right, um, is just you don't know really what you're getting if you want to convert him to an outside or inside linebacker. Is he going to be successful in that role? They haven't played that a lot. They've played maybe a few reps there in college, I think. Both of them, you, you see a little bit of that, but it's not something where they've done a lot of time. And it's really like we kind of talked about with the first-round guys, it's a projection. You know, we're, you're projecting them as coverage backers, and you're honestly making a projection that you think these guys have the traits that you can, you can put them inside and that they'll succeed. And we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think how the draft plays out is going to be a big part of what the Ravens do when their pick comes up to. Um, I think it's one of those instances where if Murray and Queen are on the board, both on the board, the Ravens don't take either of them mm-hmm. um, because they're both still on the board. Um, you know, whether that means that they trade back in that instance, they trade up later, whatever that looks like. It, uh, the irony is that if they're both there, I don't think they take them. Um, I think if only one of them's there and that's the one they wanted, they'll take that one, um, potentially, if, the, if there's not someone else that they like more. Um, 
but otherwise, you know, I, the more, you know, you look at this draft and kind of who's out there, especially in the second, third and fourth round type levels, um, you know, I get a sneaking suspicion the Ravens are going to trade back. <laughs> um, there's too much value kind of down the board and there's not enough separation to me between, you know, some of these guys. Like I think Queen and Murray are better than guys like Bowne, but I think that within kind of the range of where you think these guys are going to turn out to be as pros, you very well could see Bowne being a better pro than either Queen or Murray. Um, and that's not a knock on those guys. It's a credit to, to what you see on, from Bowne on, on film. Um, I, I, I didn't feel the same way about Uche, but you know, it, everybody's kind of got their own take on that. Right. But if, if you feel like that's the case and let's say Uche, like, let's say you like bound Uche, Murray and queen, and all four of them are on the board when the mm-hmm. Ravens pick, and you've got three wide receivers, the Ravens would have taken in that spot and two other guys of whatever other, you know, red star guys, right? Five red star, whatever they call those guys. Right. Yeah. And they got seven of those guys on the board, you know, you can trade back 10 spots in those instances and know you're still going to get one of your guys. Um, and I think at the, not that it's any different than any other year for the Ravens, but, and as much as I'd love to see the Ravens fill their inside linebacker needs, because I think that's still the biggest weakness on this team there. I, I think there's too much value going backwards for right now for what the Ravens need and looking two years ahead. And I know that's, this isn't what this podcast is about, but looking two years ahead of where we're going to be, where we need to pay Stanley Humphrey and Lamar. And they're all going to need to be on essentially the top or very close to the top of what their salary range is at their position. And they're all premium positions. We're going to need starters to fill other roles on those farther down levels and not have to pay them and need them to be in their third, fourth or fifth year of their rookie contracts. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's other guys on the defensive. I, I don't know where all that shakes out, but, you know, ideally the way the Ravens want the draft board to shake out, I think, is seeing guys that they don't want to take. And this is what everybody wants, but guys they don't want to take getting taken before they pick. So they, they have a really good assessment of where everything lands. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. This draft is very deep um, at a lot of positions and Ravens could potentially come away with several starters. I think that's obviously the goal of any draft, but I think it's very realistic in this draft. You know, you have three picks in the first two rounds, and then you have two more in the third. Um, that's a lot of picks in, like, what is that, top 110 yeah. draft picks, something like that. So I think you're looking at, ideally, several guys who can come in and play right away, and then other guys that you're expecting to, at least not even as a rookie, but develop into a starter pretty soon. Um, and if you can trade back and maybe get one more player, even better. Um, and I think looking at the depth at some of the positions, like inside linebacker, like wide receiver, you know, safety, um, those are positions where the Ravens could use some depth. And I think there is some good quality players that, that you can get in the top you know, 150 picks. And the more draft picks you can get in the top 150 in this draft, I think the better. Um, yeah, my other side of the take on that too is that I think the Ravens should take as many projects as they can in this draft. Hmm. Uh, like if the Ravens didn't have a single draft pick in this upcoming draft, they would still go into the go into this upcoming year as being a Super Bowl contender. Period. They are they are already built that way. There are a few things that could help this team, but nothing that couldn't be solved with small cap dollar moves on what's remaining out there in free agency. They could fill all those gaps and I think still be just as good. 
So I, you know, my, my take on it is I want the most upside guys on the roster as possible. If none of them take a single snap this year, I wouldn't have a problem with that. <laughs> you know, realistically, we're talking about what happens when we start to peel some of these guys off the roster, when Thomas and Campbell get older, obviously Deshaun Elliott's only got a couple years, two more years left, including this upcoming year. I mean, we're going to start to see, um, obviously our cornerbacks are getting on the older side. We haven't seen a lot from Averett, um, Marshall, who knows, but you know, we're going to need to start to fill some of those spots. So I, I think that, you know, the Ravens are in really prime position to be able to take really high upside types um, and have them play exclusively in the roles that they need this year and then really kind of cut them loose over the next few years. Um, and, and they're lucky that the draft kind of worked out um, this year for that. Are there, you know, any other inside linebacker guys that you think that the Ravens would be kind of the big high upside or guys the Ravens should really look at at this stage? In terms of high upside, I'm not sure. Um, I think that there's some guys that you can actually get late in the draft who are probably the opposite of that. They're not very high upside, but I think you can have production. And maybe mm. you need both a balance of those two things. Maybe you need to take someone early who could become the star, and then maybe get somebody late who you can just plug in and get like 400 snaps out of on early downs, and he can you know, stuff the run as a linebacker, or he can... You know, maybe rotate on the defensive line and, you know, just be somebody like a body who's out there who isn't going to hurt you. Um, and from a linebacker perspective, I think the guy is uh, Evan Weaver. He's out of uh, Cal who, um, you know, he's just a solid guy who's very smart, I think. Um, he sees the game well. He's got good instincts. He's not the most athletic player. He's not unathletic, but. Reminded um, me a lot of Jared Johnson when I watched him. <laughs> is because he's white. Uh, maybe. <laughs> no, he's but he kind of moves like that, you know. Um, he's probably a little more athletic than Jared Johnson, but he's, um, you know, he's just going to be around the ball. And he's not, like, a huge playmaker, but I saw him make some impressive plays in coverage. He's got better range than you would think. And um, there's another, another guy I really liked is um, Marcus Bailey out of Purdue. And you have to kind of go back a year. But back in 2018, he was a very impressive defender, and he had a great season. Um, he, you know, he was a playmaker kind of on every level. Um, he was a good coverage guy, not elite. He wasn't the most like uh, deft of foot, but he was like good enough. He was he had enough speed. Um, he's a very good blitzer. He was tough against the run. He's very instinctual, very high football IQ. And unfortunately, his season was cut short very early when he had an ACL tear. Um, he might have been, you know, a day, early day two guy, I think, without that injury. And now he's probably looking at second half of day three um, because there's a second ACL injury. So that's mm. a big red flag, um, especially kind of in an off season like this, a pre-draft season where you don't get to maybe get as many medicals as you would like on these guys. So I think he's somebody who you could get late in the draft. You know, he, he was at the combine. He, you know, he measured and he did bench press, I think. I don't think he did any other drills, but mm. um, that's kind of the kind of player that you can get value at because, you know, he's maybe a risk, but the Ravens have a lot of picks, and you, if you can take a late-round flyer on a guy like that and plug him in, and he can be like your two-down linebacker and maybe develop into a starter later or like 
more of a three-down linebacker at some point, then I think that's something that you're going to want to take advantage of. Yeah, one of the, the guys that I would say um, I was going to wrap this up was Davis Gaither out of Appalachian State. Um, played a lot of edge. They used him very in a very peculiar way. So he's one of those guys where the tape, at least, that I was able to see on him isn't going to translate to however he'll inevitably use, be used in the NFL. Um, but he could do a little bit of everything. Um, he could get get to the edge. He was definitely good in space, big, physical, fast, kind of prototypical football player kind of size and shape. And seems like he's going to be a guy that's probably going to be around in the late third, fourth rounds. Um, and seems like he could be a, you know, again, kind of like the, like with Judon and with Brandon Williams, where you're, you know, they're not D2, but you're talking about guys that aren't going to be on everybody's radar necessarily because they aren't playing the major schools and the major schedule. Um, and the Ravens have done really well kind of drafting from some of these no-name schools, so to speak, um, and being able to find NFL players. So he's a guy that I, I'm kind of interested to keep my eye on and see if the Ravens have any kind of eye on him. Yeah, I think he's kind of in the same mold as a Patrick Queen. Um, he's a He's a little bit on the smaller side. I think he was at the combine. He checked in around two twenty something, um, but he definitely you know shows up on on tape. Like he's a playmaker. He's he can drop into coverage. He can he can make plays. He's got range. Um, and I think that's the kind of guy that, like you said, you can get in the mid rounds. And he has some upside. Maybe you don't have to use that early round pick on a guy, or maybe take a couple of guys in the mid rounds and. Hope one of them sticks. Maybe both of them will stick. So there's a lot of options. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think the Ravens have some interesting places that they can go. It does seem like there's a lot of depth in terms of at least filling what some of these roles can look like if the Ravens have to. Um, and, you know, look, I'm, I've been critical of how the Ravens have handled inside linebacker up to this point this year and up to this point last year. Um, <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, I trust them to get it right on the draft. You know, if they, if they, if they go with a guy like queen or Murray, I think that they're going to understand that they could be used in the correct way. And I think if they, if they wait and take some of these later guys, they're, they're just going to devalue the position as it operates within this defense um, and take it down a notch, like we've talked about and not give it a huge role um, and be okay with that. And hopefully Chuck Clark doesn't get hurt and all yeah. will be well. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's, that's the way it's going to shake out. I think it's just going to be, where do the Ravens see value? They're just going to follow their board. Um, that's typically been the way they've drafted. I think this year they have the ability to do that as well. They don't need to draft any one position. Um, well, there's probably a few positions they do need to hit at some point, but they don't have to take somebody in the first round at any one position, I'll say that. Um, and, yeah, I think I would be happy if they take a guy in the first round at inside linebacker because I think they'll use him properly. I don't think that would be my ideal selection, but I think they would take him with the knowledge that this is a guy that we can really come have come in and, and be an important part of the defense. So I think you could get similar production maybe with – a couple guys in the mid to late rounds, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe they trade down a few spots and then they draft an inside linebacker early second, something like that. That might be an ideal scenario. We'll see. Yeah. Um, the, my only concern about trading down, even though I suggested it and think it may happen, <laughs> is that um, ultimately the Ravens aren't going to have enough roster spots to carry all these guys. Um, 
they basically have, if you look at the locks they've got on their roster right now, about nine spots, nine to 11 spots open. So, you know, and obviously they're going to be injuries and things, but they're also going to be undrafted guys. I think they're going to bring in a few more vets. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But nine people is a lot, of, a lot, a lot to put on a roster. Um, but they get two more guys off the practice squad. It'll be interesting to see what happens <laughs> um, with how they operate the roster and kind of the new CBA. I think one position where they can take a couple of players is inside linebacker. Because if yeah. you look at the depth chart there right now, I think you have one guy who you Empty. feel comfortable with. And then it's like maybe these guys who have played less than 100 snaps in the NFL will be able to rotate as a package <laughs> player. Don't know about that. So I think linebacker will definitely see taken probably in the first three rounds, maybe another one later. Um, and yeah, we'll talk about some of these other positions in the upcoming drafts because there are a few other places that the Ravens definitely need a little bit of depth as well. Yeah. I think we're trying to get into outside linebackers next. So, or edge guys. Um, right. So we'll, we'll have an update for you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Thanks guys.